Hello, and welcome to the Business Decisions Podcast. My name is Stuart Wood. I'm the CEO of Caravel Law and your host for this podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Michael Malesic, the founder of the recently launched Cold Brew Club. Cold Brew Club sends cold brewed coffee to its subscribers each month, and as you'll hear, they have built up a customer base quite quickly. I've had the opportunity to try the product, and I share my thoughts during their conversation. Michael has an impressive background in marketing. He was the head of growth for Inkbox, the VP of growth and marketing for Smile.io, and has also worked at Oracle and SoftChoice. He has brought all of these talents to Cold Brew Club, and despite the current set of challenges presented by COVID-19, has successfully launched his business. We talk about how his excessive spending on cold brew coffee led to this idea, how COVID-19 has affected his launch, his marketing plans, and his fundraising efforts, and where they go from here. It's an interesting journey that he has been on, and a really fun conversation. So with that, here is my discussion with Michael Malesic of Cold Brew Club. All right, I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast right now by Mike Malesic of Cold Brew Club. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Stuart. So tell us about Cold Brew Club. Yeah, so Cold Brew Club is a direct-to-consumer subscription service. We ship a unique cold brew coffee, and it's direct to our members' doors every month. Uh, just launched about a week ago, so we're fairly new, and we expect to ship our 100th order this week. So reception so far has been really great. Well, that's fantastic. 100 orders in your first week. Yeah, I mean, we ran a little bit of pre-sales and like, you know, the, the subscription list building, those types of marketing plays. But um, yeah, so far, so good. Well, I was delighted to have a chance to uh, try your product and I can give it the double thumbs up. It was outstanding. So congratulations yeah, on that. <laughs> that's like, you have no idea how great that is to hear as a founder. You spend so much time uh, prototyping and thinking about the product, but once it actually ships and people get their hands on it, you get that first batch of feedback come in. That's when you really start to breathe that sigh of relief. Well, I think it's amazing now when you see people who are bringing actual products to the market. It must feel so incredible when you first have that that pouch in your hands. Yeah, I mean, you can't really describe the feeling because um, you're prototyping, like I said, and you get an idea what the final product is. But when you sort of subscribe yourself to your own service and then get that knock at the door, that's just it, it's it's a total thrill. <laughs> Yeah, well, my uh, my box arrived and it was uh, ice cold and was perfect. I've actually had a chance to try it both hot and cold and it was uh, great both ways. So congratulations. Yeah, thanks. And I think that's going to be one of our challenges too, is that people need to know that cold brew coffee is a method and it's not necessarily the temperature that you have to enjoy it at. Yeah, I uh, I can attest to that. I uh, mixed it with the, the hot water. I followed the instructions on the website. It turned out perfect. Awesome. So what caused you to launch the business? Yeah, so I have to say it really came from a frustration on the consumer side. Um, so I discovered cold brew coffee a few years back. Uh, I personally have a condition called GERD, which is a really painful acid reflux. And cold brew coffee slowly became my go-to as just a low acidity alternative to hot coffee. Um, and then initially what I was doing was I was just getting those home brew kits and brewing cold brew coffee at home. Um, but I found really like the results were inconsistent. You have to really be careful about what type of beans you're sourcing, how you're grinding them, how you're steeping them. It was messy. It was time consuming. When I didn't have it on the ready, I would be grumpy in the morning and I'd have to run to Starbucks. And then like, you know, Starbucks and some of the big cafes, they're overcharging, I think, quite frankly, for the products. My habit was becoming really expensive. It's, you know, about $5 every time you go into a cafe. Um, I added it up and I think one month I had spent like over 150 bucks on cold brew. And I was like, this is just ridiculous. Like, <laughs> there has to be a better way here. 
And so you uh, have that caused you to start the business to meet your own need. That's the classic entrepreneur solution. <laughs> yeah, well, I really felt the pain personally, right? Both in the wallet and then in the stomach sometimes, right? Physically and, and, and um, I guess, literally, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was just that frustration on the uh, consumer side. But then um, I sort of followed the intuition into more of a side hustle. Um, I was at the time working for a tech company, a big Shopify partner, um, and I just wanted to keep my skill sets sharp on the merchant side of e-commerce. So historically, I had come from a company called Inkbox, and we were a direct-to-consumer um, uh, product, shipping direct-to-consumers, uh, semi-permanent tattoo. And I really wanted to keep those skills sharp in terms of actually like building e-commerce experiences, positioning products, positioning um, just customer journeys and different marketing programs. So it was kind of just built as this side hustle. I'm like, okay, I'm going to brew the, brew my own cold brew coffee. I'm going to get a handful of subscribers. I'm going to ship it out the door every month. It's going to be kind of this exclusive club. Um, and it wasn't really until I started prototyping and I really started doing more market research that the light bulb started going off where I was like, okay, this is <laughs> there's actually some market opportunity here. There's a real community around cold brew coffee, isn't there? It absolutely is. Um, it's actually the fastest growing subcategory of coffee um, currently. Oh, that's great. And with regards to the product, what is unique about it? It's I know, I know it's not how you drink it. It can be hot or cold, but the process in making it is uh, a lot more involved, isn't it? Yeah. So and that's one of our challenges in business, too, is that sort of the, the bar of comparison that people compare cold brew coffee to. Um, first of all, it's more expensive because there's more coffee grinds involved. It's a longer process. Um, you're not just popping a K-cup into a machine, um, but it turns out a, a higher quality product. So typical cold brew coffee is coffee grinds that are steeped in water for about 20 hours to reach that max extraction level. And then you serve it over ice or you mix it up to your taste. Um, but even that process doesn't necessarily create um, the type of extraction yield that you can achieve through our process, which is basically doing the same thing in a vacuum chamber. And then we create a concentrate that's a lot more similar to an espresso. So a typical espresso has a TDS or total dissolvable solids of about 11. And our cold brew concentrate has a TDS of about 5.1. And then regular coffee or regular cold brew coffee is between 1.5 to 1.9. So we found a unique method in creating a concentrate that's a lot more similar to espresso. And that just creates much more flexibility in the product. So you can, like we were talking about earlier, dilute it um, two to one and enjoy it as a hot coffee. You can create a latte to it. You can use it much more flexibly, like, uh, like I said, like an espresso. And so you mentioned that you just launched. What was the amount of time between sort of idea to, to having a pouch in your hands? <laughs> I think I was really feeling that that um, consumer frustration last summer. Um, and then we started thinking about the club just as sort of, like I said, that side hustle, exclusive uh, club, exclusive community. Um, and, and I actually bought these uh, the same uh, commercial systems that Starbucks has in the back of their cafes and I was brewing it myself but then I realized it's it, first of all it's extremely expensive to ship ready to drink product to people so if I'm creating a, a subscription club and expecting to ship ready to drink product 
Um, it's going to be really expensive to ship it to them. And then furthermore, the shelf life on it in those brewing methods is only 14 days. So it's about two weeks before the coffee really starts to lose, lose its flavor count. Box. So I'd have to ship twice a month for a monthly club and I would have to ship ready to drink uh, products. So the, the, the volume was, um, was really, really high. So once I found, I did a lot of research and I found this unique infusion method that created this concentrate that's much more like an espresso and created it in a way that was much more set shelf stable too. So our product lasts for 90 days instead of 14 days. That's really when the light bulbs went off and I was like, oh, this could actually be a monthly club. This doesn't, <laughs> this doesn't have to be a ready to drink, uh, product like this sort of cans and this sort of, um, uh, bottles that you might see on some of the retail shelves. And is it hard to launch a business like this as a subscription, as a monthly club? I was really surprised. And, you know, it's one of those things where you're doing research and, and I was really surprised that this didn't exist. But you kind of think, well, why? Right. <laughs> There's got to be a reason this doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, and I started seeing that. Well, the e-commerce experience, because I'm an e-commerce guy, right? So when I have a problem and I'm feeling that consumer frustration, okay, are there subscription clubs out there? Is there somebody who's thought about this problem? Let me do a lot of research. Let me do a lot of Googling. And I found that the market in general is really fragmented um, uh, amongst different coffee brands. And those coffee brands will only produce one or two commercialized SKUs for cold brew. Um, and again, it's because there's, there's, uh, it's a different method. It's a totally different method. It's more involved. So me, if I own a coffee uh, company, if I'm like Mike's coffee co or something, um, and my standard, uh, sort of meat and potatoes is, uh, my coffee beans or, uh, my merchandise or anything like that, that I ship to customers, I'm sort of like creating a wide catalog of things and a wide spread on lots of different distribution channels. So I was really surprised that there was nobody really just focusing in on this um, specific category, which we were seeing a lot of uh, a lot of growth in. Um, it was really fragmented between brands. So I had done sort of the subscribe is kind of like the Amazon patented subscribe and save model through a couple brands. And I swear, I still have like in my fridge, like 12 packs from like different brands. And I just eventually became turned off to them. They just like, they upset my stomach after a while, or I just didn't like them, or I just distasted to them after a little while. <clears throat> so I was really surprised that nothing existed that was a little bit more brand agnostic and uh, curated. And there sort of was out there, but it was only these these bean clubs. So they, they roast the beans, they ship them to you, and then they give you instructions on how to make cold brew out of it. But that then I was sort of revisiting my older problems. Where I was like, I don't necessarily have time for that. I don't know if I'm going to get it right. My yield isn't always great. So there, there had to be something in between. Um, and I was just frustrated, so I decided to create it. Well, it sounds like you weren't alone, because it sounds like the initial response has been pretty strong. It's been pretty good so far. Yeah, can't complain. And, uh, you know, now is an interesting time to be launching a business in the middle of the COVID-19 situation. Did that have any impact on your launch? Absolutely did. Yeah. Um, so COVID has given us both headwinds and tailwinds. Um, tailwinds in terms of actual search volume for at-home coffee delivery. People can't go right. to a cafe. I mean, when, when was the last time you walked into a cafe, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so people are looking, they're craving that cafe quality uh, at home. 
So there's a great amount of search volume and activity in that category currently that we can capitalize on. Um, but we've had a lot of challenges on the operational side. So um, my co-packer just shut down about two weeks before we were launching the product, just saying, hey, Mike, um, we would absolutely love to work with you here, but we absolutely just can't execute on this project anymore. Um, our operations have completely shifted and completely changed. The way our warehouse operates has completely changed, um, and we just can't we can't do this project anymore. So that was a huge challenge. Um, we had to scramble to find another co-packer in the area uh, and very quickly um, pivot to a new operations model uh, and take that on. And then further to that, my brewery is actually in New Jersey, um, but I'm personally located in the GTA. So I had planned to go and oversee the operations of our first shipments and our first production um, and all the operational things happening south of the border. But of course, the border shut down. So right. <laughs> we had to do all of that uh, blindly, um, which was certainly a challenge. Wow. So the uh, product is uh, coming out of New Jersey. Is that being shipped across North America? It is. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And coffee is the... actually not many people know this, but coffee is actually a NAFTA item. It's like it's it's called out specifically in NAFTA as a free trade item. So it makes it easy for it to come north across the border. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we 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 literally just print out the NAFTA article and include it with our shipments, and it comes across pretty easily. <laughs> that's great. Um, much more easy than uh, than moving people. That's for sure. <laughs> And uh, you mentioned that you have a marketing background from earlier businesses. Did you uh, find that the current situation uh, caused you also to change how you marketed the service? You mentioned that people are looking for it more, but are they looking in the same ways? Did you have to change the way that you uh, tried to get the word out? Yeah, so I, I sort of, um, this is a bit of a personal challenge for me too, because I sort of default to demand generation versus demand harvesting. So when I was at Inkbox, the category of semi-permanent tattoos didn't exist. Temporary tattoos existed and tattoos existed, but nothing in between. So there wasn't really too much to do in terms of demand harvesting. Um, so we had to really build the brand and create that category. Whereas now um, we're doing much more demand harvesting. So there's a lot of existing supply for search volume there's a lot of existing supply for interest on these at-home coffee options so it really comes down to the appropriate positioning against that supply versus building the brand and building the category from scratch um, mm -hmm. so it's it's how i've had to sort of adapt and build some new skill sets myself um, and realize that even though there's supply out there for demand harvesting I have to really, really nail product positioning um, and I have to match that product positioning into the sort of niche or tinier little segments within that supply. So, um, for example, on like Google AdWords, yeah, lots of people searching for at home coffee and, and coffee delivery and coffee subscriptions. But they sort of have in their mind that they're thinking, oh, I want to get beans delivered or I want to get K-cups delivered. They don't necessarily think about cold brew coffee cold brew club or cold brew as a category yet um so there's there's a little bit of a challenge there as well and how difficult has it been for you and your team to uh to plan and execute the launch during the current situation 
Um, again, from a marketing perspective, the demands out there, I think just, just operationally, <laughs> again, you, you and I were talking a little bit before this started too, about, um, I was really happy to, to hear that you had received your product cold and it had been in transit for a few days. Um, but especially with our customers in the U S we're seeing a lot of shipping delays. Um, so if customers have a product that's cold brew club and they receive it and it's warm, um, or it spent a few days in ambient temperature, our product quality starts to degrade over time. Um, and that's just not a great product experience for our customers. So we've had to reship a couple, a couple, um, products. Uh, and it's really just been operational challenges that, that I think have been the, the biggest headache. And have you, uh, had to take on some outside money to get the business up and running? Yeah, we have. Um, so we've had to raise <laughs> a little bit earlier than, than we anticipated. Uh, a little bit frustrating that we don't qualify for any of the BCAP programs um, because you needed to have 2019 payroll. Uh, we incorporated late 2019, but we didn't actually start functioning as a business until 2020. So we just missed the cutoff there. Um and then, of course, you know, anybody who had plans to purchase wholesale for and it's interesting because there's some um, there's some as much as we kind of aim to replace cafes for some consumers, we're not necessarily anti cafe. People are going to want a cafe and that's that's totally OK. And there's some small independent cafes that don't necessarily have the time to create their own cold brew offering. So it would become a good option for them just to keep a pouch in their fridge and to pour cold brew for some of the customers that do want it. But that, um, uh, that category for us uh, as revenue has completely dried up, we were positioning the product to some offices too, had planned to purchase for their kitchens, for uh, right. a perk for some of their employees. So that is completely dried up with COVID. So we've really, really just focused on the direct to consumer model. Um, and then we just, we just had to be adaptable to that. Yeah, no, I was thinking it would be perfect for the Caravel law office to have it uh, in our fridge uh, for guests and for people just to have over the course of the day. Well, it's in my best interest to keep you guys caffeinated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I would think it's a natural fit, though, for, for offices because it, uh, it is shelf-stable and it gives the sort of ability to serve on a one-off basis as needed over the course of yeah, the day. Yeah, it's shelf-stable for 90 days, too. So, yeah, and that's that's yeah. a big difference from your homebrew kits because it's oxygenization that, that creates um, uh, degradation in, in the products. So... We nitro flush all of our pouches and we remove oxygen from the environment and then we seal it. Um, so, yeah, it is a good option for offices for sure. And it sits nicely on the shelf there with a little spout to, to make it easy to serve. That's our thing. Cold brew on top. <laughs> we yeah, want a convenience in, in terms of product positioning. That's been a main tenet of our product positioning is just convenience. Absolute convenience. So what has the response been like from potential investors? How have they viewed the business and in particular, given the circumstances? Actually, really surprisingly positive. Um, I mean, because they understand that there's uh, some of those tailwinds to the business, that there mm -hmm. is that search volume out there and we get product positioning right. It's a very unique opportunity. Um, challenging in, in terms of like, you know, some people who absolutely see that opportunity and want to participate and just, just functionally can't, right? They're in financial situations where, where they just can't or from the top down, they're just in lockdown mode. So, you know, when you're raising capital, you're, you're obviously going to have some, some difficulties from that perspective. But 
Um, we're just in a phase where, where we're not being super aggressive. <laughs> you know, we're just, we just need yeah. that, that seed money to get going um, to actually put some marketing budget into play, which I'm very, very excited for. Um, the other challenge with COVID too is that our material suppliers brought a lot of cash flow forward in the business, right? As you can imagine, um, people are shipping our boxes, people are sh- shipping our cryo packs and the things that we need to actually fulfill the product. Um, their lead times as suppliers now, you're looking at 12 to 16 weeks versus, you know, you can go month to month inventory on three to four week lead time orders. Um, so you've got to bulk up on, you know, a thousand boxes or a thousand pieces of cryogels or, or um, uh, insulation pieces or whatever it is you need to actually pack and ship your product um, versus just going month to month. So for us, that brought some cash flow forward and dries up a little bit of the marketing budget. So as a marketing guy, you're going, ah, <laughs> you yeah. know, you, you want that capital available. Absolutely. And with regards to the investor meetings, are they are you mostly focused on people who you already had an established relationship with? Or have you actually been able to uh, reach out and start new relationships with people, you know, even though you can't meet in person kind of thing? Yeah, from that perspective, I consider myself pretty privileged. Um, I, I have a track record with a direct to consumer company. Yeah. Um, and I have previous relationships that I can really rely on. Um, and then just people in my network that, that, you know, that believe in the product, that believe in, in what we're doing. Um, we're lucky in the sense that when we were sort of developing this, like I said, as sort of a side hustle, more exploratory venture, um, I had a lot of time to put together media assets and a good web experience and a good um, website. So, so people get it. Uh, pretty quickly. So yeah, I was pretty lucky to have the experience to be able to pull that stuff together relatively quickly and have the network to distribute to um, relatively quickly. Yeah, that's great. So what are your plans for the business going forward now? Hmm. Um, so very excited to actually like put a marketing budget together. I think for us, one of the biggest challenges is to find product channel fit. And that's something direct to consumer companies, I think, really um, don't put enough focus on. It's kind of like, okay, we have this direct-to-consumer product, CPG or whatever it is. Here's our product positioning. Now let's spread it all out on on multiple different channels and see what sticks. Um, For us, it's about really going deep on one or two different channels. So Inkbox, for example, we found really good product channel fit on Instagram just because of the visual nature of the product. People wanted to show off the tattoos. They want to use the hashtags. They want to like actually put the product out there in the world on that channel. I think I'm yet to really find what my product channel fit is for this product. It's not a super visual product. I mean, everybody knows what coffee looks like. A lot of people know what cold brew coffee looks like. So they're not necessarily going to you know, post it all over Instagram and brag about it. It's something that's super convenient. It's part of your daily routine. It's in your fridge and it's on tap. So it's just like, you know, part of your morning routine. I don't know about you, but when I'm like super groggy in the morning, I don't want anybody seeing that. So like, I'm not going to like, you know, <laughs> blog about it or put it on TikTok or do a dance about it or anything. Right. So um, we're still in a phase where we're discovering what our product channel fit is. So we have to go deep on a few different channels and and really execute a marketing strategy that finds that product channel fit. Um, So far, we've actually seen really good signals on Twitter, um, which is interesting to me because I haven't previously ever been successful with Twitter. 
But there's a lot of people out there that create a lot of buzz about coffee and cold brew coffee. And we see a lot of these, these trends around uh, at-home coffee options and people showing off their kits and showing off what they're doing on Twitter. So that's exploratory for us at this time. But um, yeah, in terms of next phase, once we start to find those signals for product channel fit, it's time to really go deep and really lean into it and start programmatic page, start some more... Um, uh, some more building up some more of our discipline on those channels, uh, posting a little bit more regularly on social media too. So developing a content strategy, uh, developing up our UGC library too. So when people get the product and they create um, video reviews, they create reviews, they create uh, a little bit more of that brand buzz. Those are all things that that really build up the foundation of the brand, in my opinion. So uh, really excited to get those things started. Oh, that's great. I mean, it must be really exciting to uh, transition from once you get the product right and you've worked through all the logistics, then really dig in on the marketing and, and try to build up that uh, that subscription base. That's what I was born for. I mean, like that's, <laughs> that's what gets me up in the morning. I, I mean, finally, like I said, once you breathe that sigh of relief and you're like, okay, people like the product and the first review reviews are there. And then you start to see some signals in terms of product channel fit. Like that's that's when I come alive. So if uh, someone out there listening to this podcast is interested in learning more about the Cold Brew Club or, uh, you know, wanting to subscribe, uh, what's the best way for them to uh, learn about you? Yeah, so check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can just search Cold Brew Club um, or you can go direct to coldbrewclub.co or .ca if you're in Canada and check out our video. I would encourage you to go to our story. We've got a fun little cheeky video there that you'll probably enjoy. Um, and yeah, I mean, if, if you're not a cold brew person and you don't want to subscribe, that's okay. Just following us at this stage and, and being part of our adventure is, uh, is super cool. Well, that's great. Well, I, uh, as I mentioned, got a chance to try the product and think it's, uh, think it's outstanding. So I'm, uh, I'm happy to see where you guys, uh, go with it and, uh, looking forward to, uh, enjoying the rest of the product because I've got, uh, quite a few days worth of, uh, cold brew to enjoy <laughs> in my house <laughs> right now. Uh, sharing is caring. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, thank you very much, Mike. And I really appreciate your time today. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks for having me. All right. I want to thank Michael Molesic from Cold Brew Club for joining me on the podcast. If you'd like more information, you can visit them at coldbrewclub.co. If you would like more information about this podcast or about Caravel Law, please check us out at caravellaw.com. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Please subscribe, leave us a rating, and share this podcast with others that you believe would benefit from the conversations. We'll be back soon with more episodes. And until then, we hope all of your business decisions are great ones.